Uh, hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Hollywood Breaks. For those of you who are joining us expecting Tim Heindel, unfortunately, yours truly messed that one up a little bit, and he's actually going to be here next week. But do not fret. Robin Geisen is joining me this week as a special guest co-host. And this week, we dive into a lot of wonderful topics, talk a little bit about Netflix and the Great Reset. And of course, we couldn't go without talking about CinemaCon and a lot of the goings on that happened in Vegas this past week. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode of Hollywood Breaks. Robin, thank you for joining me. It's great to have you here. Thanks for having me. Before I really dive into the uh, the, the show, I do have to offer an apology to um, our viewers. I got a little screwy on my calendar and I promised everyone that this would be a Building 88 reunion for those of us who are familiar with Fox terminology. But at last, Tim Heindel is actually on vacation this week, so he'll be with us next week. So mark your calendars now. You'd be thankful I gave you a week notice. And uh, yes, everyone, it does occasionally happen that I, I do make a mistake. I mean, what can I say? It's rare, but it does happen. <laughs> so anyway, I apologize again to our viewers, but we still have the wonderful Robin Geisen to join me as co-host as Tim is off doing something. I don't know what, but hopefully he's having fun. Um, so it's great to have you, Robin. Thanks for joining me. It's always good to see you and have you on the, on the, the podcast. Um, you know, it's interesting, you know, as I was prepping for today's show, I, I saw that, um, the, uh, the Netflix, a great reset as they're now calling it is becoming more of a thing than rather just them losing almost $40 billion of valuation in the market. Uh, they, they had started laying off people yesterday and it seems to me that, the great, you know, thought of this company being a great disruptor and the reimagination of entertainment is suddenly suddenly coming back to reality, and that it's not necessarily what they originally purported to be, and in fact, they're just another channel of distribution. And I'm wondering, you know, you know, obviously, I'm here on the East Coast, you're on the West Coast, so you probably have more of a on the ground feel to what's actually happening. Do you feel like the town is sort of realizing um, maybe this isn't the, maybe this was just all a great hype or is it just the nature of the business in general? Just the sort of idea that things start great and then, Oh, whoops, now you're coming back to ground. Or is this really just net the end of Netflix as we know it? And we're looking at a completely new game, new ball game in the coming months. I do not think it's the end of Netflix. Um, I think that this was inevitable. It is with, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, all disruptors, right? There's always um, a point at which they reach and there's evolution and things change again, right? Just like right. VCRs were a big disruptor and DVDs were a big disruptor. And like, you, there's always something, there's always going to be something that's going to come in and, and, and change the marketplace. Um I think this was inevitable. I think we we knew, you know, look, Netflix took off during COVID because nobody could go to the movies because nobody mm. had access to any of the other ones. And I will say like streaming across all of the other distribu- distribution outlets um, also was like completely amplified and just escalated like crazy, but Netflix was already in place. So I think that they were able to, you know, grab everybody's attention right away and just skyrocket because they were already there. They were already built for it. They were built, they were built for COVID, right? Right. Everybody else, Disney Plus came in and I mean, they, you know, they obviously now are part of, I think, taking down Netflix, um, as are all of the other 
distribution outlets, as you like to call them, because that's what they are. They're distribution. Right. Some of them are content creators, but even the ones that don't completely, you know, I wouldn't say Peacock is, but Peacock now has Yellowstone and people are going over there just to watch Yellowstone. Like there's, there's a lot of these places where, you know, people are going to, they're going there for the content. Right. Right. And so Netflix has put so much money into all of their content. Um, but that also, I think it is coming back to, to bite them in the arse a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think what's interesting to me and what I think, I totally agree. I don't think Netflix is going anywhere. It is a behemoth. Um, it was a great disruptor in a lot of ways, in a lot of good ways, I would say. Me too. Um, but at the same time, it's interesting now, <laughs> like you had David Zasloff talking on the um, Warner Media, Warner Discovery, the first earnings call. And now all of a sudden it's like, well, we're not going to spend a ton of money on content. When six months ago, that's all it was about. Like, well, how much are you going to spend? How many billions of dollars are you going to spend to feed the content beast? And now it looks like that sort of is shifting now mm-hmm. in the conversation again. And, and Tim will probably love that I'm saying this. It's now more about quality versus quantity. And the argument could be made that Netflix wasn't always focused on quality. They were more focused on the quantity. They had to feed the beast. They lost a lot of some of their higher serving content or viewed content when they lost the office and you know all the the sort of uh, the reruns and whatnot that they had licensed from other studios and all of a sudden the studios are pulling them back. So that's an interesting aspect of it too. But another part of it that I think is fascinating is uh, Matt Bellani on his um, what I've heard, uh, which was I think went out yesterday. Um, I read this morning and you know Spencer Klein, who we both know and adore and love he's a great guy um is now he's is now at netflix and apparently he and scott stuber are running around at CinemaCon, you know saying how much they're pressing reed and ted to start releasing movies in theaters and i have to wonder if had this great reset that 40 to 35 40 billion dollar drop in stock mm. that they experienced because of their subscriber miss would they even be there if this was a case, I mean, I know Scott Stuber gave that infamous interview where he said, oh, we just need to make better movies. I'm like, well, duh. Like, <laughs> I mean, who wouldn't say that? But, and maybe less movies. Well, yeah, obviously. Yeah. But I- I'm wondering if, you know, if that conversation would even be, I mean, I, listen, I, you know, again, Spencer Klein's awesome. I have nothing but the utmost respect for Scott Stuber and the career here he's built. But at the same time, would they be there? If the that if the the great reset and hadn't happened, what do you think? You know, I I think they would look. I think they're happy to be there. I, I mean, I don't know. I haven't spoken to either one, but uh, knowing you know, knowing Spencer and he has some of the best relationships with exhibitors. Like, I think this is something that makes him happy to be able to be mm-hmm. there and like finally be able to to. Netflix, I think, was always this like only streaming, only streaming, day and date, day and date, but now you know, there's an opportunity and that's how I see it every time is it's an opportunity. Like you shouldn't ever put yourself in this one little place because then Mm. you're only going to be in that one little place. Right. And I think Netflix is smart to think of other partnerships. Um, And that's what, I mean, I am all in on Netflix partnering with some sort of exhibition outlet and finding a way to work together because that's what they should have done from the very beginning. I think now uh, the marketplace is kind of forcing them in that direction. I think it's smart to do that. I think Stuber's right. They do need better content. Um, you know, you look at, I guess it was like, 
I'm trying to figure out when it was. It was about five years ago, probably now with COVID and everything. But I remember listening to to uh, Ted Sarandos, and he was saying um, he was talking about the percentage of the content on Netflix that was still licensed versus the content that they were making and that people were watching. Right. And 60% at that time, this was five years ago, but 60% of the content that was being viewed on Netflix was still licensed. That's a huge yeah. percentage. And now with all these other distribution outlets coming back and taking back their content, right? They don't want to license it out anymore, but they've had to let those agreements play out as, you know, as they planned. Um, but now they're getting it all back. And Netflix is forced to create their own content that's just as good, right? So you've got, and, and like you look at Shit's Creek is ending its license agreement with Netflix and going to Hulu. You look at all of these, um, Fuller House is actually a really interesting one too that I saw um, where it was Netflix created, right? But now, it, it, yeah, and now it's on GAC. Now it's on cable. Like, They've created, it's really interesting to see yeah. how these are, are, you know, being created and it's, it's smart. It's just other ways of distributing your content to more audiences. And that's ultimately what we should be doing. Cause don't forget at the end of the day, what this industry is, it's for the people it's for, you want the views, not just for money, but like, that's why you yeah. create it. That's why we're in, I mean, right. that's why most of us are in this industry. <laughs> I would say that, you know. Richard Rushfield would probably disagree with you somewhat on that. Maybe. Um, even though he would celebrate the idea that, yes, that's why a lot of us get into this industry. Although I think there are more people who get into it for the flash of it versus the actual storytelling and making of movies. But that's maybe a podcast for another day. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, his big thing is we are, after all, an industry that's driven by hits. And the the idea of what 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 Netflix deems a hit versus, you know, what sort of the more traditional theatrical models, like take Paramount, for example, which has mm -hmm. obviously been killing it the last few weeks and for their last few releases, is all of a sudden so committed to, to theatrical. And the, the question now is, because sort of the blinders are off Wall Street investors in terms of what Netflix value really is, I think there's going to be more question now of like, okay, well, what exact, what, I need to see what, what a hit means to you. Now, I know they share viewer numbers and all that stuff with talent for the most part. And even then, they're not exactly as open as I think talent would like them to be. Mm -hmm. But I think now it's going to, especially if they want to bring advertisers on board, which is a whole nother complicated question because advertisers are not going to invest unless they can see that it's driving a purchase and or driving you know consumption by a consumer who views the ad. So there's going to be, have to be a lot more data sharing, which I'm sure data geeks like Entertainment Strategy Guy are, you know, salivating just to get, you know, peek the books and see what it actually is happening behind the scenes versus, oh, we had, you know, the Red Notice is the most watched movie ever, even though the movie's kind of meh, but it was the most watched movie ever. Right. And it seems to me that they're going to have to prove more what actually is a hit and if they're actually making money. And the flip side of that is also how this is going to affect the other streamers mm. is they're going to have to start showing, okay, we understand like Disney plus, for example, when they announced it, their CFO came out and said, listen, we're looking at at least a five-year loss leader. Like we're going to be losing money for the next five years on this. Cause we're just priming the pump to fill the content void. Mm -hmm. And now it's going to be like, oh yeah, well, 
how are you actually going to make money off this? And I think that's what Zasloff is facing now because he's got $55 billion worth of debt that they've now taken on as part of this merger. His stock has kind of taken a beating. The Discovery stock has taken a beating prior to them actually merging. So he now has to answer to the sort of idea of like, well, you can't spend forever. And I think that's partially why the reset of like, well, we're going to be very uh, um, smart about how we spend our money. And I think that's a little bit of a pushback on what you said in that, you know, yeah, they're, they're making content and they're giving it to everybody, but that's ultimately what got the studios in trouble in the first place because they started just licensing their content to Netflix because it was just another revenue stream that they could Mm -hmm. bilk because DVD market was collapsing. International was a little wobbly. So isn't that, are we looking at the same thing? So I I would say that I think Netflix is going to be in a little bit more, and all the streamers for that matter, are going to be a little bit more pressured to show that they're actually making money on this and that it is a revenue driver and that there is, because again, we're a business of hits, but we're also a business of making money. We are, the key word being there, business. So business means profit. And you can't just keep making, you know, Scorsese, you know, dream pictures and taking a loss of like 150 million on it and just being like, hey, we got 75 million views. Like that's just not going to fly anymore. Well, you know, I will say you're absolutely right. I think there's, I want to touch on two things. One, the transparency and two, um, the content itself. So first the transparency element of it, um, I, I want you to be right that they're going to share that they have to share more data in order to get, you know, advertisers on board. But that necess- that hasn't necessarily been the case with even online media and digital media spends. Right. right? So true. like, look yeah. at I remember sitting in a room and being pitched on the YouTube masthead and it's this extremely expensive buy. And but at the end of the day, it didn't convert right on some of the like. I remember, I forget which project was. I think it was like um, Rampage. Rampage was the project. And they were all showing, you know, what they had done and how awesome the mask had looked. And it did. It looked great. The creative on it looked great. However, it didn't convert to the box office. So it was one of those things that I thought when they're sitting here showing it to me, I said, you should change, like in your pitch, you should find a con, you know, a piece of content that actually worked, that actually worked, converted right. to box office, <laughs> right? Yeah. So that's one part of it, but it doesn't matter because they're still selling it and they're still getting out and there, there wasn't a lot of transparency. Like, so we're kind of in the wild west and these companies are able to throw out these gigantic numbers because they can. However, what they don't realize is that they're setting the marketplace and by setting this new marketplace, because they think they're bringing in a lot more money, they're actually setting everyone up for more failure as well. And I'm going to say that because when you drive those numbers up, and this is where I come back to the content that I want to talk about. And this is where I think Netflix and any distribution outlet has a lot more in common with studios than um, we all talk about. And in that I mean, when you start a project off with a budget that's through the roof, when you know who that audience is already, like you're setting yourself up for failure already. When you have someone coming in and saying they're not going to star in that movie for less than $15 million paycheck, your budget's already starting at $15 million on a movie that right. is going to open to 20 Right. Just because of that one person, right? Like you think about everything else that goes into this movie, like 
we're setting ourselves up for failure again and again and again. And everyone in the industry is responsible for driving those numbers up, right? So, and mm-hmm. in, in setting these movies up for failure. And that therein lies the vicious cycle of, of why it becomes so hard is because there's a lot of money up for grabs, but just because it's there doesn't always mean that we should take it in that moment because in the end, like the movie may not succeed. Right. Yeah. So it's like, that's where I think it's, we need to really take a step back and you look at people like Jason Blum got that. He understood that. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's why he started making movies for lower budget when he realized he didn't have to drive the spend up for those movies. He knew exactly who his audience was. Right. Yeah. Jordan Peele, same thing. Genius, genius. Like who I actually think is one of the most, um, I mean, I think he's the most interesting filmmaker working today. You know, like, yeah, I, I would agree with that. Yeah. Like, he's, he's one of the most, yeah. And fascinating and um, completely and wholly original. And how can mm-hmm. you not root for someone who was from Key and Peel to where <laughs> he, <laughs> right. right? Which, by the way, yeah. I love Key and Peel. I still love it. Like, I think it's so funny. Right. But it was like, this is the other thing is we pigeonhole these people in, you know, these stereotypical roles based off of what we think just because they've played in one part. We shouldn't do that. And Jordan Peel is a perfect example of, um, you know, of that, of showing what yeah. you can, what one individual can do, that they're not, right. you know, just working on one thing. Um, but that's where I think it's like, it becomes this vicious circle, right? Like it, of you drive the budget up and maybe you don't need to drive the budget up on that movie. Like yeah. it all starts with audience. It all starts with audience. You sound like uh, when we had Kevin Getz on, um, who wrote the fascinating book, Audienceology, and you and I have obviously worked with him quite a bit on some of the films we've done in the past. He has said very similar things. He's like, you know, it's not that hard. You just have to define the audience and, you know, look at what what's worth spending to grab that audience and, you know, create the content that you want. Right. I mean, it's interesting. You you brought up another point that just reminded me of a meeting we had with Facebook not too long when I was, we were, I was still at Fox. And they presented a, um, a trailer for The Accountant, that Ben Affleck movie. And uh, they said, we got so much engagement on this. And it was unbelievable. It was shared million, like this many times. And Mark Weinstock, who was, who was sitting in the meeting, raised his hand and he's like, yeah, but that movie didn't open. That doesn't help me. And I was, and everyone was just like, okay, this meeting's over. <laughs> but he's right. But it, you know, yeah, he's, he's right. right. Yes. I mean, that was, it was just like, it was hilarious. Cause it was just like, they were sitting there bragging about this trailer and how it got shared all over. But I didn't bother to look in to see that the movie actually didn't open. And that's what, you know, we as marketers live and die by. And the other thing I just want to point out, and this is another thing that Matt Baloney mentioned in his newsletter. Um, when you talk about a lot about sort of the idea that we're going to have to start showing the, uh, the ability to actually make money and really prove and find your audience. He brought up the fact that there were two examples um, that uh, he showcased when this was at HBO Max. You had Dune, which was an exclusive day and date release, right? And they made, I don't know, $400 million, 400 million and I don't know how many, they, how much, I don't know what the total worldwide number was. But, um, and then they, you know, they're obviously in HBO Max and probably may have driven subs a little bit, which was obviously Jason Kalar's, you know, main mission was to drive subs to HBO Max. Mm-hmm. And then you look at Batman, the Batman, right? Which opened, has made almost $800 million globally. And it's killing it on HBO Max, mm. supposedly. Now, again, we haven't seen the numbers. But look at how much, look at the dip disparity in the numbers there. So it's like, 
you can still maybe have, maybe, maybe the future is you can still have your cake and eat it too. You can still make mm-hmm. gobs of money in theatrical. Yeah. And then still drive in interaction on the platform, which has it exclusively, which is a case of HBO Max, in which case, you know, it cuts out sort of the windowing with HBOs and yeah. the showtimes. And then it just goes exclusively to the, your streaming service there for a little bit. And then you potentially license it out to what, whatever your TNTs, TBSs, whatever, what have you. So look to me, I think there's, this is what I think the future should look like or a version of this, right? Like, if I were Netflix or one of these streamers, I would be becoming buddy buddy with exhibition. I would let's take AMC and Netflix. Let's use them hypothetically, right? I would create a deal, like an actual partnership for these two supposed like um, nemesis, right? Like, but right. they shouldn't be. I think yes. they should create a deal where they work together to determine. Mm-hmm what goes in the theater and when, and what goes on the platform and when, and it doesn't right. just have to be movies anymore. Right? Like if you're um, Netflix and you're releasing stranger things, you have a partnership with AMC. And before you drop it on your platform, the weekend, you know, the day you drop it, it's going to be in theaters, you know, that weekend only. Right. right. Everyone can go see it in theaters and everyone else can wait and see it. Like, that's what I think there should be. That's what I think people should be doing, right? I think that is interesting. And it's and then you create demand back in theaters again because it's an event. You don't just put any movie in there. You put specific projects that demand attendance. Um, right. Stranger Things is a good example that doesn't have to be a movie. Game of Thrones, you know, those last few episodes, That's that would have been a very interesting thing to do. Um, right. Not just movies. And then also you have a movie like Batman you release just in theaters at just this, you know, on just this time. And then you can have your cake and eat it too and go on streaming and you create, um, you do what Stuber was saying, quality only, right? Quality only in theaters or not even just quality, but event, right? Like which ones create an event for someone? It has to be an event right. for someone or it's an event for no one. It's an event for right? nobody. Famous yep. Tony yeah. Sella. Famous Tony Sella. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. How God knows how many years ago. But he's right. right. And um, it, it, so that's what I think an interesting partnership could look like. That's what I think we should be looking at. And it's not just one-offs. It's a full deal. And then you work right. together on a slate of what goes when, where. Yeah. I mean, it, it It does. That's that's a very smart way to look at it. And it's interesting because, you know, this past weekend or this past week, we had the famous CinemaCon in Las Vegas which you and I have been to many of those. Um, And we can share many horror tales (laughs) of what it takes to put those presentations together, but we'll spare ourselves that PTSD and just talk about this year. It's it's interesting you bring that up because, um, and I made this point in my newsletter, um, it infuriates me because we do this every year where, you know, first of all, I was happy that they were actually able to have a full to-do and it wasn't scaled back or anything like that. So that's, that's a great thing. But they continue to pretend like Everything is hunky dory. I know. Like they're just like, hey, yay, theaters are back, baby. We're back. We're back. And yeah, we don't have to change anything. And day and date, simultaneous release is dead. And everyone knows it doesn't work. And I know. Woo. And it's like, no talking about the experience, which is still shitty. Yeah. And half of these theaters are probably going to go under once all their COVID relief money runs out. And no talk about what you just said, like a partnership. And it's interesting to me that nobody wants to have that conversation. You know, 
I, you know, I love CinemaCon because obviously it's fun to see all the slates and everyone, you know, brings out their presentation. And obviously you and I worked with Chris Aronson, who's always a, the consummate showman when it comes to CinemaCons. And I feel like he could almost, apparently from the stage at, at the Paramount presentation, he did say, like, let's try to make the experience. Let's limit the amount of trailers we show. Let's work together. So he started the conversation, which is great because that's what needs to happen if this is ever going to change. But I still think they're just blinkered and just blinded when there's this rare opportunity where there's a, an obvious reset. The 90-minute window's gone. Yeah. Or sorry, 90-day window's gone. It's 45 days moving forward. You know, everyone's going to experiment and you're just going to have to learn to live with it. But why not do it in a partnership versus this constant adversary relationship? Right. And it's And it's interesting to me, like you look at some of the presentations, like, Obviously, Sony's was Tom Rothman talking about how great Tom Rothman is and <laughs> how great their slate is, and woo, look at us! And you know, there then the- Tom deserves those kudos. He made it through. He made it through the pandemic. I does. He does. He they they weathered it. They weathered it, but he also sold off a lot of his movies to Netflix. So it's sort of like yeah, yeah again, it's one of those things where you celebrate theatrical, but at the same time, you're not ignoring your you're also ignoring the fact that there needs to be more of a partnership here versus just offloading to the streamer. Um, And then you have some place like Warner brothers, which again is sort of like, you know, it's just hunky to everything's sort of normal. Like here, let's trot out all these stars to get you guys all amped up and excited. Woo. Here's Dwayne Johnson. Ah, you know, and it's just like, I mean, it's still avoiding the bigger question of this industry is sort of, we're on the Titanic right now, and we've basically hit the iceberg. So you either need to figure out, let's get the lifeboats and get as many people on the lifeboats as possible. Yeah. Or we just, we, we're just going to sit here and play the cello and the violin while we go down with the boat. Like, I, I just, it infuriates me to no end that they just continually do this. And there's a moment here because Netflix has been sort of slapped back a little bit. And the sort of streaming of is the future and the only future is muddled. And they're just not taking advantage of it. And I just find it, yeah, a, a, it drives me nuts. I totally agree. It's funny. I, I like your analogy of the Titanic because it's funny because <laughs> the reality of it too is like, I think of that, the door that Rose is on and there's room yeah. for Jack on that door, right? <laughs> so it's oh, the, 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 the constant like, Titanic debate. <laughs> the door is, you know, Rose is Netflix and theatrical is Jack. And Jack, get on that door. Like, yes. you can't. There's room for you. And, and Well, wait a minute. But to be fair, he did try, but then it started to sink, remember? <laughs> that was the big thing. But he didn't even try again. He quit. <laughs> he quit. And then he froze to death and sank to the bottom of the sea. And that, and everyone cried. And everyone's sad because Jack is gone. So the the thing is, is look, I don't think, and I've been saying this forever, theatrical is never going to go away. We just have to redefine it. And, And I think that that's what, I mean, you know, exhibition, they're just so old school and they're thinking, and you're right. It was very frustrating to hear literally nothing new. It just felt like 
you know, they were kissing butt to all the exhibitors. You're the cornerstone of the industry. You know, I think I heard cornerstone from every single studio. <laughs> well, after 17 days, I'm going to ship it off to Peacock. Oh, no, wait. Here's Firestarter, a Stephen King movie. But I'm just going to put that on Peacock. But like, this but is this movies. is an opportunity. <laughs> yeah, this is an opportunity. And we should stop seeing each other as adversaries. And we should start right. seeing each other as partners. And this is a big, big opportunity. And I love that Chris tried to do that. Chris Aronson, like. Yeah. And it doesn't surprise me that he tried to do it because he's been talking about it for years and trying to find yeah. ways to partner together. And I think he's right. And I think Paramount, um, it was really smart at how they've been doing things. I mean, obviously it's showing from a box office standpoint, right? Um, yeah. At least this year. And uh, and I think, look, we, we need to change. We need to find these things. We need to find ways to work together. And when you once you start doing that, all it does is create more opportunity. Everyone wins. And that's the kind of stuff that we should be looking at. And we should really be yeah. scaling back budgets on certain movies, not every movie, but like there's no ungodly reason why a comedy should cost over $50 million ever, like ever to make, right? Like you have these, there's certain movies that I have no idea when I see how big the budget is on why <laughs> yeah. it should be that big. There's no reason right. for it. Um, and and when, you, when you do that, you put so much pressure on yourself to open and you're never going to open north of that like mm -hmm. so it's just again we have to there's reasons why we have data we have years and years and years and years of data on what works and what doesn't and how we can create these models from mm -hmm. a financial standpoint and we should be paying attention to those more and and yep. talking about those more and having honest conversations with talent and honest conversations with agents and honest conversations with studios and really standing our ground on certain things because there's a reason for it. Like th there's reasons why we should be doing that. There's no ungodly reason why some of it needs to be so expensive. If you're not Avatar, if you're not Dune and you don't need that money, <laughs> right? Like you've right. got those movies that need it. They have to have that. And, and it shows like, and you can really open it at the box office. Now, not every movie is going to open. That's otherwise every movie would open, right? If right. we knew how to yep. do it, if there was a special sauce, then every single movie would succeed. But that's business. Yeah, I really hope that there's a realization of that. But I, I just, I'm not having done, having through so many of these presentations and witnessed so many of them up in person and sort of, you know, written, read about them and written about them over the last few right. years. I just don't sense that there's any sense of urgency. And I think it's going to take a moment. It's almost like, you know, the great, re the, sort of the, in New York City when nobody really did anything until the city was basically on the verge of bankruptcy and total collapse. Mm -hmm. And then somebody's like, well, maybe one party rule isn't a good idea for the last 40 years. So let's try this, this former prosecutor. And then all of a sudden things get cleaned up. And it's almost like, I think something like that needs to happen where there needs to be a complete crisis where all these, a lot of theaters go under. And then they're going to be like, okay, now we got to figure out how we're going to make this work. Well, the crisis has already happened. Yes. And now all it takes, the new disruptor is one person who is in a position of authority and power to come in and make that deal that I just said. Partner yeah. with a streamer and partner with exhibition. Or better yet, buy a theater. <laughs> Not just, but not just one theater, one theater. No, not I'm not saying by, but, but if a lot of these theaters are going to go under, then you buy some and then you partner with a Netflix and then you're like, Hey, Netflix, you can come into our theater and show your first couple showings of, uh, of stranger things at least gets people into our, our new experience theater. You could do that. I mean, could go but on that on. takes time. That takes more right. money. What I'm talking about doesn't mine That's is true. plug and play. 
plug and play, baby. Get that partnership going. Work yeah. together. We're friends. Right. Let's make money together. Yeah, I I, th- I I love what you're saying, but again, I think uh, there's a lot of animosity going years back that I think will have to be iced over and. People but that's why it, all but, it takes is two people, one on each side. You're right. That's it. You're right. You're right. And listen, you know, I think Brian Robbins surprised a lot of people with his commitment to theatrical at CinemaCon because everybody thought he was coming in and just going to dump everything on streaming. And clearly that's not the case. And yeah. w- right now you're right. What it looks like they're doing is working. So, well, listen, Robin, I could talk about this till I'm blue in the face as I'm sure you could too, but uh, our listeners and viewers don't uh, necessarily have more than 30 minutes in a day to devote yeah. to our uh, expounding on the industry. So uh, thank you again for joining me. Um, great to have you. Always a pleasure. Um, for those of you who are listening and watching, please be sure to subscribe um, on whatever podcast channel you happen to do your podcasting. Um, good news is Tim will be here next week. So uh, be sure to schedule it in your calendars and uh throughout the next few months i think robin may be joining us a couple more times as our co-host because uh my co-host my usual co-host tim will be doing some traveling this summer so we, he may be in and out as we go but we'll be always happy glad to have robin to uh step into his big shoes as it were i don't uh, so thanks step in those shoes right. <laughs> i do my best exactly so uh thanks again robin appreciate having you thanks again to our background team Lydia and Michelle for helping us put together the show and we couldn't do it without you guys so thanks again and thank you all for listening and watching and we'll see you here next week thanks for having me guys